You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 205, Gary Meacham and Hitting Life's Curveball. Friends, I hope you're ready to step up to the plate. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so glad that you are here. You've downloaded. I don't believe in accidents. and I don't believe in luck. I believe in providence. And so I think it's no accident that you are here listening. So thank you for doing that. Um, We've got a really great uh, story for you today, a great conversation. Our guest is an author, a speaker. Uh, She's a nonprofit founder and the CEO of The Vine Uganda. So I'm sure we'll hear a lot about that. She's also been married for 38 years to former New York Yankee Bobby Meacham. So that's really cool. Can't wait to hear about baseball. I'm a big baseball guy. Our guest is Gary Meacham. Gary, welcome to Halfway There. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to make the connection. We met the first time at the Spark Christian Podcasters Conference in Houston, which is now a few weeks ago. By the time people hear this, it might be a few months ago, but that was a that was a really great time. It was really so great to meet you. Yes, you too. And I was so happy to hear you're a baseball fan. That made me <laughs> like you right off the bat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Baseball's been a huge part of your life, hasn't it? Oh, yes, it has. It has. I I never really liked baseball growing up. I grew up in Colorado, and at the time we didn't have you know a yeah. pro major league team there. Actually, we had a minor league team, not a, a major league team. And so football was really more my my favorite. But I ended up dating a college baseball star, Bobby Meacham, and, you know, kind of just was thrown into that life. We've been 38 years now in, in pro ball. So, yes, I love it. I've seen more games than I could even imagine <laughs> or count. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have to hear a little bit about that. Do you remember... Uh, so when you were in Colorado, was it was it the Bears that they had, like the Denver Bears? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what it was. Do you remember the the, wins, the right? Zephyrs? Oh yeah. So I, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and we also had a Triple A baseball team, the Iowa Cubs. And I remember the Denver Zephyrs coming year after year. So that was you know when I was a kid, but. Um, I always ask yeah. people about that, but you're right. Colorado is such a football town. They show up for Rockies games just because it's a cool place to hang out, but uh, nobody's invested <laughs> in the Rockies. Right. I got right. to have, um, about a year ago, I got to have uh, one of the Rockies announcers on the show. That was pretty, that was very fun. So anyway, oh, good, good, good yeah. baseball stuff. Well, that's cool. So maybe we'll get to talk a little more about baseball as we go, but I want to hear about your story. So you grew up in Colorado. What was that like for you? Were you, what was your family like? Were you, was it a believing family or what was it? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Eric, I, I was not in a believing family. As a matter of fact, when I was nine years old, my father was in a tragic car accident and Prior to his car accident, he was the youngest bank president in Colorado. At 33 years old, he was the president of his own bank. He was a very charismatic, handsome man. 
and he had married my mom, who was from Maryland. He, my father, was from Colorado. He brought her back to Colorado after they got married, and they started a life there, but their marriage was not good. And so one night, my mom had heard about a party up at his bank that she had not been invited to. So she drove up to the bank, and often my father would just come home drunk or just be gone for weekends, and she wouldn't know where he was. So this was kind of the issue, and he hadn't invited or mentioned this bank party to her. So she drove up to where the bank was and found him that night in the car with another woman. So that very night, she told him their marriage was over, and shortly after she drove off, his car was involved in a massive car accident. He was by himself in the car. Uh, but the car rolled off the road between Boulder, Colorado, and Denver, and a milkman found him strewn over the front and back seat, paralyzed from the neck down. Found him about 5 a.m. in the morning. We don't know how long he had, had lain there paralyzed. And so now my mom had to immediately go into the role of loving wife at the bedside of a paralyzed uh husband knowing what she'd seen the night before. Wow. And so he was, yeah, six months in ICU in a hospital in Denver, and then six months in a rehab center before he came home a year later. And, you know, Eric, that's kind of really where everything fell apart. My mom started drinking. She was quite violent um, in her drinking and just, it was really the bleakest, off, most awful time. You know, we really lost our way as a family. Um, my father just went silent. He really couldn't communicate much after that. And so it was, it was rough. And when I left for college, eventually, I was the oldest. I was nine at the time of the accident. My little sister was six and my little brother was three years old. And yeah, was I you realized I needed to basically... I'm sorry. Well, no, that, that's good. Yeah. So you, you said your father couldn't communicate. Was it like he just wasn't able to, or he just like shut down emotionally? Like he was just not there. Oh yeah. Good question. He just kind of shut down. Yeah. He just wouldn't communicate. He was quiet, you know, and he had been on the top of the world and now mm. had nothing, you know? I, and so after kind of helping to raise my brother and sister, when I was able to get out to college, I just was like, see ya. Bye-bye. I'm done here. And that's when I went out to San Diego state and that's where I met Bobby, my husband. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was good being there, but in terms of faith, you know, I, I basically had none. I didn't, I didn't know Jesus. I'd never heard about Jesus. And it was there at San Diego state that I, I gave my life over to Jesus. Um, basically through an eating disorder. That's what pushed me, oh. um, to give my life over to the Lord. Well, tell us that story. How did that happen? Yeah, well, you know, given kind of the way I was raised in such kind of trauma and basically neglect and, and, and some, some violence, I, I turned to food, Eric. Mm. I mean, I just, you know, food kind of became an ally and I gained a lot of weight. I was definitely a binger, a secret eater, and I got so sick of it, especially it escalated in college. And at that this time I wasn't dating Bobby yet. Um, but I got large and I hated it. And finally one day I said, I've had it. I'm 
I'm going to change the way I am. I, I went on another diet, which was about my million diet, which were never successful. <laughs> but this time, for some reason, I started losing weight. And what began as a healthy thing for me turned into the most destructive force of my life. And so deep in the throes of anorexia. And at this point, I was dating Bobby, but of course, I kept it a secret. And back then, you know, people didn't really talk about eating disorders like they do now. I didn't really know how to name what was going on inside of me. I just knew I was a compulsive starver, just like I had been a compulsive mm. overeater. And so the day I was going to take my life, I woke up and I said, this is a day I can't handle this. My my brain just cannot handle the torment of of all of this. So I thought the best way was to just take my life. And I went into one of my roommate's rooms and everybody happened to be gone as God would have it. She had a picture of Jesus on the wall. And we always call this picture, Eric, Southern California Jesus, because <laughs> Jesus' hair was blow dried back. Right. He had like the best smile. He's white. A warm look. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he looked like a surfer, honestly. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but for whatever reason, that picture is still to this day my favorite. And I just looked at that picture of him on the wall and I said, Jesus, if you're really real, make yourself known to me. You are the last thing that I know to try. And I didn't know the word saved. I didn't know the word salvation. I'd never even heard those words, Eric. But I said that to the Lord in that very moment. I know now was the moment that I gave my life over to him. And it sounds so corny. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it felt like weights came off my shoulders. He just literally um, began to immediately change my life. And I knew that he was real and I knew he was present. That's awesome. How amazing that you found Christ when you didn't have any context for who he was at all. Right. That's, right. Exactly. that's God is so and good you know, like that. Eric, I say it all the time because, you know, kind of the way the Lord has always worked with me, because I'm kind of like a wild woman for the Lord. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've kind of done a lot of gutsy things, I guess you could say, you know, um, on his behalf. And the reason for that is that I know how real he is. I didn't grow up hearing that. I never had anybody sit down and tell me about salvation or tell me, you know, the ways to Jesus. Like I, I never really heard it in those contexts. And I mean, I knew who Jesus was just because our culture knows who Jesus is, but I never knew anything personally about him. And that day, just simply by crying out and asking him if he was real and if he could change my life. Literally that day, the weights came off my shoulders. Now it was a while until I really got free from all my issues with food. And I, I can tell you more about that. But, but that day I, I was saved. I mean, that was the day of my salvation. Yeah. And the first thing I did, you'll get a kick out of this. The first thing I did was call Bobby you know, my boyfriend at the time. And here he is, this big baseball star at San Diego State. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. I called him, and I was crying on the phone. And I was like, you need to come over. And so he drove over so fast to my apartment. He thought I was breaking up with him. And he was so scared. <laughs> and he knocked on the, on the door. And he comes into the apartment, and I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm like, I praise you, Jesus, for the first time. And 
he literally said to me, that's it? You know, because he didn't know the Lord at the time, but he thought, why all the drama? So what about Jesus? Well, little did we know (laughs) that he was going to that season after being drafted in the first round in June. He went off to play his first season of minor league ball with the St. Louis Cardinals. That's when he first uh, really uh, asked Jesus into his life as well. And then he understood the weight of what I was saying. So that was, that was, that was an amazing time for us. Yeah. Wow. Well, I kind of want to hear that story, but that's cool that he was drafted by the Cardinals because they of course are the best team in baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In in your opinion. In my opinion. That's good. Yeah. I might, Uh I might be a fan. Very cool. All right. Well, that's a little aside. We'll just go. But uh, so (laughs) anyway, I know you ended up playing for the Yankees, right? How did how, Yeah, he did. How did that end up affecting you then? So if he he gave his life. Did you guys when were you guys married? We were married two years later. Okay. So to be honest with you, it was it it's a great question to say how did that, you know, impact your life because I was telling you, I, I came to know the Lord kinda like a wild woman. I mean, I got saved and I was a maniac. For the Lord, and I still am. I mean, I carried my big Bible with me, the very first Bible I ever got. I carried it with me on my back in a backpack to every class. I mean, I just couldn't believe that this word, the Bible, could, could change me the way that it was changing me. Um, and and the darkness was just coming off of me. And so I changed so radically that Bobby wasn't sure really, you know. <laughs> who this new person was because we dated for a year pre me getting saved. And then he went off to play pro ball. So when he came back from his first pro ball season, it was a little different for us. I mean, the way that we functioned before was not the way we were functioning, you know, at that point. And so for about a year, we had to really dig in and learn and grow. We started attending a church. We, Together, you know, we started really studying and and had friends that were believers and started growing. And there were a few times when even I thought, you know, I don't know if I even want to be married, and especially a life in pro ball, which to me seemed like it was going to be really materialistic and, you know, where's Jesus and all that. Like that, I really struggled with that until I realized that that is a mission field as much Mm. as Africa and as. God would have it. He has me smack in the middle of both ministering to the very rich wow. and to the poorest of the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So you, it sounds like you were really on fire after that. Like your life just totally changed. How did you change? Did you find mentors? Did you find like scripture? Were there certain scriptures that you read that really changed who you were? I'm sure it was gradual. That's okay. But like, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question because I, I seem to have been very unique in that I, I wasn't right away in a church. I wasn't right away plugged into, uh, you know, a lot of people or fellowship. I mean, I had some friends that knew the Lord that had actually been praying for me for a long time. Um, but most of my transformation happened solely from the word of God. Solely, and so one girl had given me a big, beautiful Bible, and like I said, I carried that thing around, and 
this is why I'm such a lover and believer in the word of God, because it has the power to change you. It has the power to heal you. It has the power to completely redirect your life and your steps. And so for me, um, I didn't know at the time, but God was going to really gift me with teaching of the word. And, and I'm a writer. And there were there were ways that he was even back then in those years teaching me as I would devour the word. I just could not get enough of it. And I still feel the same way. And it, what's ironic about that is my very first book that I wrote is called Truly Fed, Finding Freedom from Disordered Eating. The very first book I wrote was my story on freedom from, from food issues. Of course, I've written on a lot of other topics, you know, besides that now. But, but that, to me, was such a monument, you know, that God set me free and then taught me. I, I honestly, people say, well, did you go through years of counseling and this and that? And I'm totally a fan of counseling. Believe me, don't get me wrong. But I, I did not. I, I literally got set free by the word of God and principles in the word of God, you know, and it's continued to impact my life in the most profound ways. And so, yeah, I, w I remember writing scripture back in those initial days at San Diego State um, on my hands. It's kind of pre-sticky note days, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm a sticky note queen now, but <laughs> I wrote it all over my notebooks and even on my hands, the front, the back of my hands so that all day I could see scripture and be reminded of, of truth. And when I focused on that, I felt light. When I didn't, I could feel that darkness kind of coming back in. And so I really am a believer in the power of the word of God and certainly, um, you know, reaching out to other people that can help with that. I, I did eventually have a group of amazing friends that, that we were all kind of growing and learning at that age group together. And then certainly years in pro baseball, we'd have people on teams or chaplains or, you know, just people at churches that we attended that we grew together with, which is so important as well. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's really good. How did you, how did you start to I mean, I guess maybe you're describing that for us, but I'm really interested in that transition from you were just soaking it up to you, you started to realize God was using you to teach. Was it always something that you like felt called to? Were you always kind of just sharing what you were learning or did it just sort of dawn on you over time? Oh yeah. You know what? I, I was literally born, I think <laughs> to teach, um, to teach the word of God, to write the word of God, to speak the word of God in, in front of other people. And so I, I learned I, initially I didn't just go right out in front of crowds or anything. I was, I was basically learning from the scripture. And I think that's kind of part of the problem today, to be honest with you, um, is everybody has such easy access to being a public figure now yeah. that often people don't, you know what I mean? Don't learn first. They just all think they have something to say. And then they're just saying all kinds of things. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that I had years in the incubator of learning and growing and writing out notes and almost crafting sermons, if you will, in my head or chapters in my head. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a, a funny, a funny thing that did happen. I was a guest speaker at a pro athletes outreach conference for women. This was years ago, about 20 years ago. 
And one of the other guest speakers along with me was a little Bible teacher and author named Beth Moore. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of Beth, but everyone on the world, on the planet practically has heard of Beth. And so her and I were both um, speakers at this conference and she had just, she was just getting her feet wet in ministry and writing and speaking. Um, and, and really, to be honest, I remember her and I huddled up one night praying together and, and she asked me, what do you want to do more than anything? And I asked her the same question. And we both said the exact same thing. We want to teach. We want to reach women. And I've later added men to that. We want to write. We want to write books that help people know, know the Lord better. We wanted to do exactly the same thing. Well, at the time, Bobby, after he finished his major league playing career, had to go back to coaching in the minor leagues. And I to be honest with you, to, to make ends meet, I had to go back to teaching school, elementary school. So at the time, I was teaching elementary school, and Beth was just kind of getting started in ministry. And I really wanted to be doing that full time, but I had to continue working mm. as a teacher. And so I watched both of our prayers go different directions. Beth went on to, as I, I see it, almost single-handedly change women's ministry across oh, yeah. the world. Wild success. And teaching in Bible studies, you know, and here I was <laughs> doing recess duty with third graders teaching at an elementary school for about the next 17 years. But during that time, God used it for me to build me up as a writer. I wrote for a Christian sports magazine for about eight years. I had my own column in a couple of magazines. I also taught kids to learn how to write. And it made me a better writer. I became a national consultant for Public Education Business Coalition on reading and writing comprehension, which made me a better speaker. And even now when I speak and teach out in Africa, I understand how our brains comprehend. So it makes me a better, a better preacher, a better speaker all around. And had I not had those years of learning, I don't think I would be the, the kind of Bible teacher that I am now. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because since then I've, I've had this conversation with Beth and, and, you know, it's just interesting how God takes us on different trajectories, all of us, but all I wanted to do is write books and speak and teach. But it took me 20 years, Eric, before wow. I had my first book published. So for anybody that's listening that has a long time dream, whatever it is, I just, say, look, keep going, keep praying, keep preparing, yeah. keep learning. You know, it will come to pass. It will. I completely agree. Friends, if you have something in your heart, I believe God put that there. Hold on to it. Now may not be the time, but keep going. I have a similar story in my life. I told you earlier where I worked 10 years in a call center, right? That's like, yeah. that's a hard, that's a taking a hundred calls a day. I can't imagine how many hundreds of thousands of calls I took, but that season taught me a lot of things that I get to use now every day. Right. And so you just, right. you, sometimes you have to go through it. Even Moses had to spend 40 years in the desert before he got to go, <laughs> went back to get the Israelites. <laughs> that's right? right. Yeah. So that sometimes that's God, right. God does that. And it's a thing that we can embrace. So I, I love that about, about your story. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. So I can, I, can I ask you a baseball question? So, cause yes. you said, you said after Bobby's career was over, um, he had to go back to the minor league. So was that because, like, is that just a normal thing? People have to go back there to go to coach, or is that is kind of why was that? 
Yes, um, it it is a normal thing. And so this might shock you, but back when Bobby played, the major league minimum salary when he first broke into the big leagues was forty thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> okay, so then we went on strike for it to go up to sixty thousand. And by the time he was done playing, it was up around 80000 So when you put that into perspective of now, yeah. a major league ball player, a, a rookie, first day in a uniform, is going to make it the rate of 500000 Right. Okay? So, so put that in perspective. So for us, Bobby played for the Yankees um, off and on for five and a half years in the major leagues. But, and he was a first-round draft pick. Back then, a first-round draft pick would sign for about $100,000. Now, they sign for 2 or $3 million or more. So just putting it all in perspective. So our money didn't last forever, right? Yeah. We, we, we had a finite amount of money. And so when he was done playing um, for the Yankees and then a couple minor league teams after in AAA trying to get back to the big leagues, we looked at our options. Um, and because he didn't have a degree because he was drafted after our junior year of college, I did have a degree in teaching. I went, I went into teaching, um, and our three children went to the school I taught at. It worked out real well for us, but Bobby went into coaching and most coaches will never coach at the major league level. Those jobs are really coveted. Right. Uh, the game has changed a lot recently and gotten a little weird with that, but, but for the bulk of the last 20, 30 years, you know, you might coach or manage teams, which is like being the head coach, you know, for, for your whole life and never get a big league opportunity. So what happened for us is that Bobby started in the minor leagues and a couple of different things happened, Eric. One was that we prayed and it was 16 years, 16 years in the minor leagues before he got wow. his first opportunity to coach for a major league team. And it came because I was leading Bible studies for the major league Rockies wives at the time, because we lived in Denver. So I was teaching them their Bible study. And one of the wives became one of my best friends. Her husband, Joe Girardi, became a manager <laughs> at that time of the Florida Marlins. He asked yeah. Bobby to be one of his coaches. And so we were with him for a year and then he got fired, which means we got fired. Everybody else goes. So yeah, Bobby went on to be a coach for uh, another manager that was managing the San Diego Padres. And then the following year, Joe Girardi got the best job in baseball, which mm -hmm. was with the New York Yankees uh, as his, as the manager. So he asked Bobby to be his third base coach. But at that point um, I quit my job in education, thinking this is it. I can finally write books. I can do what I want to full-time. I can minister full-time. We were both so excited. But I have another story. Okay, it's yeah, tell us the story. Wild. Are you ready for it? Okay. okay. So here's what happened. So on my first game, driving to my first game at Yankee Stadium, watching Bobby now as a coach, not a player, now as a coach, Remember, this is now at this point about oh, about 20 years later from our original you know, time frame of praying he'd be a coach. The manager's wife, Joe Girardi's wife, Kim, calls me on my way to the stadium, and she says, Gary, there's a wife 
that is in desperate trouble. You're going to need, if you would, to just sit and talk with her, pray with her, please. I told her all about you. Would you do this? And of course I said, yeah, of course I would. Well, come to find out um, she was the wife of a superstar on the Yankees at the time. And I get to the stadium. I find where she's sitting. She doesn't sit with the other wives. And at the time, her husband was having an affair with Madonna. And it hadn't hit the news yet, um, but she knew about it. And it was pretty traumatic for her. And, and so I sat in the stands and I encouraged her and I prayed with her. That was on a Friday. By Sunday, he had kicked her and their two little girls out of their home. And by Sunday afternoon, Madonna was sitting in her seat at Yankee Stadium. So it was a nightmare. And we we basically just prayed and prayed as a team. Joe and Kim, Bobby and myself prayed for this particular player. And I don't really want to say his name. Yeah, that's many okay. people might figure out who it was. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, we loved on that player. Bobby was the infield coach and the third base coach. So he was right under Bobby's um, tutelage. We just encouraged this player as much as we could, loved on him, never never said anything detrimental about him or to him. But at the end of that season, Bobby's first year with the Yankees, and remember I quit my job, you know, yeah. everything was going full. I think I had my first book deal. Everything was full, full force. Well, we got a call one week after the season was over from the general manager and from our good friend, the manager of the team, Joe Girardi, and they said that that particular player had gotten us fired. Wow. He had gone to ownership and said, I'm not comfortable with him being my coach. And they let us go. And we knew it was spiritual. We knew it was a spiritual battle. We knew it was um, out of our control and even out of the GM and the manager's control. And as God would have it, we, we actually ended up having to go back down into the low minor leagues the next year. We couldn't find a job in the game. It was a really rough time. Mm. I had left my job and uh, we didn't do any radio interviews. We didn't, we didn't badmouth that particular player. We just took the high road. Um, and a year, we went from the best job in baseball coaching to one of the worst jobs, little Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where the mascot was a varmint with a saw in its hand. <laughs> So we went from the Yankees to some saw carrying varmint, wow. uh, you know, team. And was that hard during that time frame? Bob? Yes. Oh, yeah. It was awful because, you know, it had been our dream. Remember, we had prayed for 16 years to get back to the major leagues as a coach. And then we were there for about two years, one year with the Marlins, one year with the Padres and then the Yankees. So actually three years. And then all of a sudden back into the depths of the minor leagues, the low minor leagues. And, and there's not a lot of money there. Know. I don't know if people know that, but like minor league teams, they, they generally don't pay very well. Oh, you, you, you literally can't make <laughs> I'm I'm understating it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, it was just that whole thing of like, Lord, we prayed. We thought we had finally made it. We really did pay dues you know through all those years we've been so faithful matter of fact we were being faithful in encouraging and helping a young wife you know when this particular player really just you know wasn't 
wasn't behaving properly. We did nothing wrong. You know, many people, you know, listeners, I'm sure, have felt that way in your life at times. You can be doing everything right and situations just don't go the way that you hoped or planned. Even now, you know, living with this virus, everything we've planned has just gone out the window. But I'll just wrap this up by saying this, Eric, what happened from that season to this day, Bobby and I just shake our heads every Monday during that baseball season, we decided to fast and pray. We had never really fasted together or, or prayed deeply like that together, but we just said, you know, God, all our finances are up in the air. We had three kids in college at the time. Um, I had left my job in education and as a consultant, you know, what are we going to do? And so every Monday we would just offer up prayers and fasting. And by the end of that season, one of our very good friends ended up the manager of the Houston Astros and through a series of miraculous events and turns, he was able to bring one coach with him and he brought Bobby. Wow. That brought us to Houston, which opened up the doors to a complete ministry in Uganda that never would have happened had we stayed. I don't think had we stayed with the Yankees, I don't think it would have happened. And so only God knows why. Yeah some circumstances turn the way they do, even if they seem bad, he, he, he turns them to good, you know? Yeah, indeed. Wow. Okay. That's a really fascinating story. Thank you for that. Just that look. So yeah, I can imagine that it was hard and you were kind of wondering where God, what God was doing, like, where, where are we going here? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, what's funny, Eric, is I write books on prayer. <laughs> I intimacy with God, and here I was like, "That's dangerous." Oh, what are we gonna do? Yeah, and I was like in a panic because it really hits home when your finances are struck, when your plans are ripped up, when you thought things were gonna go one way, and like we said, when you've done everything right, you did nothing wrong. Yeah, you know, but that just is when God shows up in such remarkable ways. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, in just a second, I want to go to uh, the ministry in Africa because I think that's really fascinating. But I want to tell you a Joe Girardi story. Uh, I yeah. I was in Chicago. So we, we grew up in Iowa, but then we moved to Chicago. And whenever, whenever the Cardinals would come to town, we'd go and see a game. And right after this, 2002, my daughter was born in February and we were taking her to her first game. And that game turned out to be the game where Daryl Kyle died that day. Uh, if you remember that and it was Joe Girardi, he was the catcher at the time and he came out on the field and cause internet was not a thing. Well, it was there, but we didn't have cell phones like we do today. So nobody knew what was going on. It's just, the game was delayed and they all, both teams filed out onto the, onto the, uh, baselines and they brought out a mic and Joe Girardi announced to the crowd. He didn't say what happened. He just said that we need to pray for. Uh, the Cardinals and their family, they've had a tragedy and there's not going to be a baseball game today. And he handled it in such a classy way. I'll never forget that. So I've always kind of, uh, kind of respected him because of that. And that was my daughter's first baseball game. But um, oh, we, we ended that's up. amazing. I'll make sure to tell Joe that story. That's oh, really, that's really beautiful. That'd be amazing. It was really great. So he's one of those guys I think are is just a classy guy in baseball. So that's good. Um, he is. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Africa. Cause you said it, that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't ended up in Houston. So how did that work itself out and how did you get, uh, get attached to this ministry? 
or start the ministry. You yeah, found it. So. Well, right, right. Well, um, what happened really in that time frame is that had, had we stayed with New York, I think we would have eventually just moved there and, you know, just closed shop in Colorado and, and just kind of gone that route. Well, because it didn't work out that way, I was home in Colorado for a short bit and the daughter of one of my friends there had been in Uganda for an internship for a summer and she saw a crooked orphanage. She saw an orphanage that was collecting money, but then basically pimping the children out, um, you know, not feeding them. It was just, it was a nightmare. They were living like animals. And so she was so distraught over it. She told her mom, I'm not coming home. You need to get me some money. We're going to, her and two local Ugandan young men went in and tried to rescue some of those kids. Well, I happened to know this girl's mother. And when I saw her uh, one week at church, she told me the story and said that her daughter would be back in the state within the next couple of weeks. And would I be willing to meet with her? And so I met with this young girl and she asked if I would mentor her uh, a bit and teach her how to speak. She knew she was going to have to try to raise funds and, you know, figure the whole Africa thing out, you know, because she was so drawn now to these orphans in Uganda. Well, I'll be honest with you, Eric, I have never had a missionary heart ever. Like I always was that person that would say, there's enough problems in our own country. Why go find them, you know, across the ocean? That was me, I'm embarrassed to say. But given a, a, a certain time frame of me meeting with her, because I was a reading and writing specialist, I agreed to take a team of teachers over to her um, now orphanage and teach their staff some principles of comprehension because the kids just weren't learning very well. And so I got a team of teachers together. We went over there, and that was Bobby's first year of coaching with these Houston Astros. And I thought kind of like one and done, you know, I'll mm -hmm. go over there, I'll just do some work, it'll be, it'll be nice, and then I'll, I'll come home. Well, while I was there, I was so struck, I was so impacted, I was so taken aback because you have poverty, and then you have poverty. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And so kind of as, as God would have it, it was over the course of about two years um, that myself and a, and a younger local Ugandan young man decided to start our own place in a very underserved region of Uganda called Kamuli. And we started what I named the vine based on John 15, where Jesus says he is the vine and we're the branches. And we... We called it that because Jesus is the vine. And honestly, Eric, we have seen miracles like you cannot believe. We've hosted crusades. We've hosted outreaches. We've rescued, you know, orphans and children and, and women. And, and it has just been remarkable. And there is a true revival happening in Uganda. Um, doors are open. I'll get invited to Muslim high schools. As a white woman carrying a Bible, they invite me in wow. to speak, and I 
I remember saying this was a couple of years ago. I said, so you're saying I can talk on anything I want to. They said, you sure can. <laughs> I was speaking at a conference in their capital city and I got asked to, to be on radio shows and do other, you know, speaking engagements at universities and high schools like this. So I walked in and taught on John chapter three, Nicodemus, when Jesus said, you know, you must be born mm-hmm. again. And then was able to just ask if any one of the hundreds of high school students, you know, wanted to have Jesus in their life and hands were just all over the room. And it's this kind of access that we're seeing in Uganda right now. And I don't know how long these doors will be open. You know, you never know during the time of true revival, right? how long you'll have to minister in that way. But right now we are full on. And so the vine, the vine, uh, our, our mandate is women and children. We fully sponsor um, children, and then we also do half sponsorships, and we also run our own preschool, and we're building our own, um, we call it the Vine Village, our own baby home and primary school right now, but but uh, we also work with women. We've got literacy groups in 11 villages. Um, we work with the prisons there, so we, we kind of have our hands on everything there, but it's it's remarkable to see how God is on the move in Uganda and how how open and invited we are with the gospel. Wow, that is amazing. I love that. Have you ever had a season when the Lord seemed far away for, for you or you were angry with him or when it seemed like he was not coming through for you? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a brilliant question. Yes. Yes, Eric. I... I would say there really were two seasons in my life that were probably the darkest. And one of the things we forget about Jesus is that it says that he was acquainted with sorrow and grief. You know, I know you love Oswald Chambers, the great author and and writer. I do too. And he, he calls it the fellowship of suffering. Those seasons that perhaps God seems far away or we don't understand probably for me, there were two that were the, the worst for me. One was in my marriage and one was with my oldest daughter who suffered a tragedy. But in my marriage, you know, being married to a pro ball player is not easy, as anyone can imagine. Yeah. If, you, if you can picture the temptations and then times it by about 100, that's what it's like. I mean, women knocking on players' doors, offering themselves in the elevators up to their hotel rooms. I mean, that's, that's what it was like. And so at about 10 years into our marriage, Bobby, through a series of events that really the Holy Spirit opened up and revealed, Bobby confessed to me that he had been unfaithful to me over a period of time. And it was probably one of the most devastating seasons of my life because we were the chapel leaders of the New York Yankees. I mean, we were the chapel leaders of every team we were ever on. I was the Bible study leader across the country. I was the writer, the speaker, the retreat leader. And, you know, to hear that our marriage fell in that way was so devastating. And we had to go back to square one. We were separated. I didn't know if we were going to make it. Um, It was probably one of the darkest, most awful times of our life. And Bobby and I say this all the time, he and I have a ministry now for people that have struggled with infidelity. Um, But Bobby was kind of heroic 
in my mind. And that seems like a weird word to use to describe someone that was in, was struggling with infidelity. But the reason I feel like he was heroic is he, at all costs, said, I have got to be the man God's calling me to be. Whether I lose my wife and children at all costs, I have to get this right. And so he confessed to me things from even when we were dating before we were married and really just let the Holy Spirit clean him out, every single part of him, every memory, every action, even things that he had suppressed for so long he couldn't remember them well. He asked God to bring them to light so he could get rid of it all. And he did. And we went into intense counseling uh, during that time frame. And I'm so happy to say that about a year and a half to two years later, we were remarried. And it was so special. It was just me, him, and a preacher that we loved in a small little chapel. But we know the power of what God can mm-hmm. do, you know, in a marriage. And, and also the destruction that the enemy can do. And so that for me was the darkest season because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm the Bible study teacher. I've done nothing but follow this man around this country in baseball. We moved 47 times in our first 10 years of marriage. Which is so hard anyway, right? Just moving. That's right. And then to add everything else on top. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we had three kids. We had just been through so many ups and downs. And I thought, this is it, you know, and the Lord really took me to the story of the prodigal son because Bobby was kind of like the prodigal son who went out and, you know, squandered um, his his inheritance. But I felt like I was the older son who was there just serving faithfully and all of that. But you know what, Eric? Both sons broke their father's heart. Mm. Both. And I really had to look at myself in that picture. I had to go back and look at our marriage and ways that I also participated in the downfall and it was hard but because Bobby never once blamed me for anything because he took full ownership like a man and was so repentant and did whatever it took to be right um, because of his stance like that and his his love for the Lord and his absolute surrender to the Lord I was able to heal myself and learn to trust him again so I would say that was, was was probably the darkest time because, you know, growing up the way I did, I really didn't trust a lot of people. My mother and father were completely absent. And so when I married Bobby, he was my man. You know, he was the prince that was going to take me away from yeah. from everything. And so when that fell, I, I, was, I was so devastated. And because my father was a cheater and his father was a cheater and our grandparents were cheaters, you know, it was kind of breaking that generational cycle as well. So, yeah, that was that was probably my darkest time. Yeah, well, I can I can imagine. And uh, thank you for sharing that. It makes a lot more sense of how you were able to help the other player's wife years later, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it's not a ministry I would have chosen, you sure. know, to to go in and, you know, help people. But I will tell you, it's so rampant now, not just around uh, amongst ballplayers, but everyone with access to pornography 24-7. There's young girls struggling, boys struggling, even children struggling now. Um, And then, you know, as you move up the scale to 
to cheating or deviant sexual behavior, just all of it, you know, is just a big giant cesspool of struggle. And so Bobby and I now are kind of known, at least in baseball, you know, as this couple that went through all of it, but, but made it, you know, Um, so many times people are not able to make it. And I, I do understand that I had every right and even biblical right to, to walk away, but, but God, you know, God had a different plan and Bobby and I loved each other so much, even in the midst of that darkness. The, The truth is, Eric, a lot of counselors will say women tend to take their pain inward, whereas men will take it outward. That's why women tend to struggle more with issues like eating disorders and things like that. And men tend to struggle more with, with sexual issues for Bobby when he was no longer the star, when he was no longer the ball player that everybody wanted or clamored over. He went back to behaviors that made him feel valuable, which was, the attention of women back behaviors like high school behaviors, you know? And of course, for me, that would never have an appeal. At least it it just has no appeal to me, but I'll hurt myself, you know, uh, through certain behaviors, but I, that just was not appealing to me at all. And so what we realized is that both of us had a lot of wounds as we all do that we needed to deal with. And as we started to deal with them, God healed them layer by layer by layer. And then, you know, the great thing about spiritual scar tissue is it heals stronger than that tissue was before the injury. And now I look at what I'm able to write or speak or all the ways that we are able to help people heal in their own lives. You know, God just, he doesn't waste any scars. He just doesn't. He uses every scar for his, his glory and purpose. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so friends, whatever you're going through, uh, just invite the Lord into it. I think that's what I'm what I'm hearing here. Just he, because he can handle it, right? He can he can help you through, and if you trust him, this is so true. It's over scripture. I think we've heard it. I can't tell you how many times through, let's say, 200 episodes or so, uh, and we hear it in your story, Gary, that um, you you had to go through it and you came through stronger. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to talk. So you said, you mentioned that you, you write about these things. You know, you probably, you said you've written eight books, right? So you've got, got a lot of books. Uh, what's your latest one and which one, or which one would you like to just maybe share with us and, and give us a, a brief overview of kind of what it's about and how it can help people? Sure. Yeah. Well, my latest book just came out in January and it's called Beyond Free. Out of the eight books, I actually have written three of them um, to people that want to get free from food issues, which, you know, it's not something I do the bulk of my teaching or or speaking on. But for some reason, these books seem to do very well. And I've partnered with an organization called First Place for Health. So anybody that's struggling that perhaps is listening, men or women, these books and they have other books in their collection, but I've written two for them. And then my first book, Truly Fed, was something I did on my own. These books are remarkable and powerful. And they're, they're an international network of, of, of people and classes and resources that help people get free um, from issues around food. So my newest book called Beyond Free 
was a sequel to the first book I wrote for them called Be Free. And it's really a, a an eight-week study, um, very in-depth, on, on how to be free from these behaviors. And it can be any kind of behavior, not just food, any habitual behavior that holds you back. But I would say probably my favorite book that, that I wrote and probably the one that's had the most impact um, in the world is is called Spirit Hunger. And it's really about going deeper in your intimacy with God. Mm. It's funny. I have a lot of stories in there. You know, I have a lot of depth in there as well, just about the way that we pray, the way we listen, the way we engage God. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy. You know, people are just like, well, here's five easy, easy steps to prayer or whatever. Well, you know what? That, that stuff doesn't usually work very well. You know, um, there's a lot of <laughs> reasons that it's not always easy to, to to feel intimacy with God, but I'm really honest and authentic in the book and, you know, also just really share a lot of my own journey and struggles and weeping and laughing and, you know, all of that. And so Spirit Hunger um, also has a workbook and a DVD series. A lot of uh, churches or book clubs have used it around the country and, and it kind of gives you a, a variety of ways to interact with it. But I would say that's probably my favorite and mostly because every single word I've written in that book is something I've lived. And, you know, I'm the type of author, I'm all about authenticity. If yeah. it's not authentic, if I haven't lived it, I'm not going to write it. You know, I, I learned early on, I'd rather teach something than live it. And God said, nope, it needs to go reverse. You know, you need to live it and then teach it. And so I, I would say Spirit Hunger is, is just that kind of book. People seem to read it and say, Gary, I felt like you were literally walking right next to me. And oh, wow. that was, that was my goal. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I was looking at that. It looks like a great book. So, um, I've got spirit hunger. I've got beyond free. I've got your website, which is Gary Um, all linked up as, as resources in the show notes page at halfway there.com. So our fr friends, you can find it there. Um, or again, just go to Gary and they can connect with you. Um, Gary, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Yeah, you know, Eric, first of all, thank you for what you're doing with this podcast. It's such a great way to reach out to people. And I think right now, um, especially, you know, I don't know when exactly this is going to air, but right now we're in the, the thick of this virus thing. And I know at least in Houston where I am, we're, we're in lockdown, you know, and um, I think I would say this, pray, you know, keep praying. God answers every single prayer. And some of the stories I've told today, I hope reaffirm that for you listeners. But listen, God God answers prayers in one of three ways. Either he'll say yes, and right away you'll just know a door will open, something will make sense, it'll just feel easy. I, I love when it happens that way. But sometimes God might say no. And the reason that he might say no to what you're praying is usually for one of two reasons, either He's protecting you from something, or he's got something better for you. One of those two things. We think if God shuts the door, we think maybe we're being punished, or he's not hearing, or that's not it. He's either protecting, or he's got something better than, than you're even praying. But the third way I've found that he, he kind of answers our prayers is 
by saying not not yet, but coming soon. You know, he might be saying not not yet, you're almost ready. And or the circumstance is almost ready. It might not always be us that needs to be ready. It might be, you know, somebody else that needs to be ready. We're ready, somebody else isn't. But God has us on hold for just a little bit. So the answer is not no, but not yet. So I guess I would just want to encourage people in this really uncertain time, you know, keep praying, keep reaching out to God, keep engaging Jesus, keep loving him, keep going to his word, um, because his answers are there, they're real, and his presence is real, and he is for you, you know, not against you, he's for you, he will answer what you cry out to him. I think that's what I'd love to say and leave our listeners with Eric. Amen. Amen. Friends, you can trust God no matter what your situation is like, um, no matter where you want him to answer, no matter what he answers, trust him. I love that. Gary, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. It was a real delight. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. You too, Eric.